0: Good morning everybody. It's good to be here. Good to see you here. It's been a while since I've spoken here, but I'm uh, just happy to see friends that I haven't seen in a while. And it's just good. God is good, isn't he? He's good all the time. Uh, Before we have prayer, I want to just make a couple of comments. I was not planning this morning on speaking on this topic, the one that's in your bulletin. You can see the title there. Uh, I had a different topic. There's a lot going on in our world these days. I think we all know that. And during the month of July, I have been feverishly uh, dividing my time between my family and my garden and a new book. And I've been working on this book uh, in earnest, and it's coming out in a couple weeks, and it's called Approaching Armageddon. And it looks at all the things that are happening in this world and gives many, many, many reasons that we are definitely approaching the coming of the Lord. I feel that very, very strongly. And so I thought about, that's what I was going to talk about today. But I took a walk just a couple days ago and I was talking to Jesus and praying about what I should speak about this morning, and it sure seemed to me that the Lord just completely redirected me to a topic that I've never spoken about uh, in a message, but it's really um, relevant to what's going on in the world, what's going on in our church, what's going on just all around us. And so, if you have noticed in your bulletin that the title is called Pandemic, Government, Constitution, Freedom. And I just kind of wrestled with this and I I said, Lord, do you really want me to talk about this? But the conviction remained and so here I am. Here we are. And I know we're recording this and I believe we're live streaming this and we will see what the Lord does with this with this uh, message. So if you have your Bible, I'd like you to open up to the scripture reading, as uh, Vince mentioned, we had one little little part wrong in the scripture, in the bulletin. It said second Peter, but it's actually first Peter. So I know Vince read it, but I'd like to to just focus on this again in just a couple of seconds. First Peter. Chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, and before we do, I know we've had prayer, but we can't pray too much, can we? So let's pray again that God will take charge of this, that His Holy Spirit will be here, that He will bless us, and He will guide my words, that I will say the right things. So let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus, we pray again. For the Holy Spirit and for your blessing upon us. Lord, you know there's a lot going on in this world, a lot going on uh, in America, in our country, in our churches, and in people's lives everywhere. And so we just pray again for the Holy Spirit to please guide and direct uh, as we are here together. Please help me to choose my words carefully and to say what you want me to say. Bless us now, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, once again, pandemic, government, constitution, freedom. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 13, 14, and 15 really focus on our relationship with the authorities. Verse 13 says, "...submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or to governors." So we have talking about kings and governors. Uh, "...as to them who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well, for so is the will of God." So it's very clear in this verse that Christians should relate to civil authorities with an attitude of submission. Do you see that in this text? It says submit. Uh, It says that we should submit ourselves to every ordinance dealing with kings and governors, civil authorities, because this is the will of God. And... Uh, It's safe to say that in our church, which is the Seventh-day Adventist church, uh, our church as a whole, that we strive to do this. Isn't that right? We strive to be good citizens, good examples. We are Bible believers, and we want to do what's right in the sight of God. We want to do the will of God as we wait for Jesus to return. Now, there's a similar Similar counsel, I'm not going to read the whole section, is in Romans chapter 13, sort of a parallel passage to 1 Peter chapter 2. In Romans chapter 13 verse 1, verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. Uh, in my Bible, next to higher powers, uh, it directs me to the margin. And in, in this particular Bible, which is a King James Easy Reader Bible, it says that higher powers refer to government governmental authorities. So it's similar to what we've just read in First Peter. Uh, and the idea is that we are to be a subject. Same thing we read in 1 Peter. We are to be subject and submissive to the authorities. And uh, that's good counsel, isn't it? This is God's counsel. This is divine counsel. This is the Word of God. And we are uh, admonished to have an essential respect for authority. And it's, it's no secret that as you look around this world... Uh, we are living in a time where more and more people are increasingly disrespectful of authority. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, this is really becoming a pandemic. <laughs> not talking about the coronavirus pandemic, but the, a pandemic of lawlessness, a pandemic of uh, disrespect for the authority that God has placed in the home, in the church, in the school, and in our government. And we really should keep in mind that according to the Bible, the first being uh, in this universe who manifested a lack of submission and a lack of respect for authority was who? It was Lucifer. That's right, Lucifer. And that's uh, part of the process by which he became a devil. Lucifer uh, lost his respect for the governing authorities of the universe, for the authority of God. And the reality is that his his rebellious spirit is permeating our society, and it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And we, we can expect that activity to go on uh, all the way until Jesus comes. Now, there's something else that we should keep in mind. Something else that is uh, just as clear as 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, and Romans chapter 13, verse 1. And that is this, that when the Bible counsels us to respect authority... Governing authorities, rulers, uh, etc. This is not a blank check. Uh, It does not mean that there is, that God requires us to have an unconditional submission to authority. Are you with me on this? Uh, And this is also very, very clear in the Bible. When you look at the Bible and you look at the big picture, the biblical picture... Uh, Our submission to the authorities, governmental authorities, is a a secondary submission. Our primary loyalty, above all, is to God himself and to the government of heaven. Right? We're moving along and I think we're all on the same page. Uh, And the Bible's full of examples of instances where people of God, people that were led by God, realized that in this situation, it was, it was uh, time to buck the authorities. Uh, one example is in Daniel chapter 3, when the government of Babylon required its subjects to bow down to a statue of the king, King Nebuchadnezzar and there were three men in that in that crowd that vast crowd in Daniel 3 named Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and they realized that in this instance the legitimate authority of government had crossed a line and that that line was now interfering with God's authority and that and that uh, it was now time to take a stand and not to submit to the authority of the king of Babylon in this instance because it was violating God's law. He was basically requiring people to bow down to a statue and the second commandment says, don't do that. So there was a conflict between the government authority and the authority of God and his law and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they took a stand. In Daniel chapter 5 we have a similar situation where the government of Persia required that nobody can pray to any god except the king of Persia for 30 days. And Daniel was there in Persia at that time, and he realized that this was a conflict. That the government of Persia had crossed the line and had left its legitimate authority. And so he said, I can't, I can't do this. So he prayed anyway, openly and publicly. And as a result, he got thrown into the lion's den. And as I like to tell sometimes when I'm telling this story to kids, I say Daniel, I say Daniel had, uh, he was in the lion's den that night, but he had some furry pillows to sleep on. And God calmed the lion, shut their mouths. I don't know whether Daniel actually slept on them or not. But we know that when the morning came, he was just fine. Because God backed him in his resistance to civil government. Turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 is another example of what we could call sanctified resistance. Acts chapter 5, now we go to the New Testament. It's an account of the early disciples, the apostles, who had been thrown in jail by the authorities, the religious authorities uh, centered in the Sanhedrin, the Jewish authorities at that time. And then the angel came down and, and let them out. And they were eventually told to preach, keep preaching. So the authorities found them out of jail and they brought them back before the Sanhedrin. And in Acts chapter 5 verse 27, It says, when they had brought them and set them before the council and the high priest, then the high priest asked them, and he said, did we not strictly command you that you should not teach in this name, which was the name of Jesus? Now here you have the highest authority of the uh, nation of Israel at, at that time, the Jewish Sanhedrin and the high priest, and the leaders saying, we gave you a command. And the command was, don't preach in the name of Jesus. Now those were the, uh, the governing authorities, right? But should the apostles obey that command? No. Uh, in verse 29, it says, Peter and the other apostles, they answered and they said, we ought to obey God rather than men. So Uh, In 1 Peter and in Romans, we are told that we we are to submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. But this verse says we ought to obey God rather than men. And this shows us the two principles, right? That we should be in submission to the governing authorities as long as they maintain their legitimate authority. But if they cross a line into an area that has to do with God's authority, then the time comes for a stand to be taken. And the apostles decided, you know, we have to go out and tell people about Jesus and whether the high priest wants us to do this or not, we need to follow the will of God, the higher will of God. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 21, Jesus said, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and give to God the things that are God's. And we, should, we need to have this biblical balance in our thinking. And that is that Caesar does have, and Caesar represents civil authority, the authority of government, that Caesar does have in the sight of God a legitimate, rightful authority. And that's what 1 Peter 2, 13-15 and Romans 13:1 is talking about. Submission to legitimate authority. But we also need to realize that, that our highest loyalty is to God. And when the authority of Caesar conflicts with the authority of God then who should we choose? The answer is obvious. We should choose the authority of God. Now, turn to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13 is a chapter that we know well. Hopefully we all know this chapter well. Revelation 13 verse 11 describes the rising of a beast in history. Revelation 13, 11, John says, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke. He spoke how? He spoke as a dragon. Right, now I'm not gonna, I don't have time to get into uh, a full study of this verse. Uh, White Horse Media has a, DVD series, which is on YouTube, which is called Startling Prophecies for America. It's free for people to watch. We also sell the DVD uh, for those that would like to, to get that. And anyway, there's a careful study in Startling Prophecies for America about Revelation 13, verse 11, and about the identity of this, this, uh, this beast. In Daniel chapter 7, beasts clearly represent kingdoms. So we have a kingdom rising up, a nation rising up. It comes out of the earth in verse 11 in contrast to the sea. The first beast comes out of the sea in chapter 13 verse 1. And Revelation 17 15 says that the the sea or the water, the water represents lots of people. And so the earth would represent an area where there is not so many people, more of a wilderness area. So John saw a beast or a nation rising up out of a wilderness area. It has two horns like a lamb. The horns represent a a division of power within the government of that nation. A separation of power. And those two horns are like a lamb going back to Jesus and the principles of Christ. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God's what is God's. And that principle of the Lamb showing the separation of powers and the legitimate authority of one and the legitimate authority of the other, uh, those, that principle of Christ has been incorporated into the Constitution of the United States of America. Uh, really, unlike any other nation that's ever arisen in the history of this world, America is, is a unique nation. It's an amazing nation. It has become the most powerful nation on the planet. And Seventh-day Adventists have looked at this passage and studied this passage and studied the history behind this passage. And we have come to the conclusion that this beast coming up out of the earth down near the end times with a separation of power that is rooted in the principles of the Lamb, that that beast represents the United States of America. Uh, And again, if you want more information on that, Startling Prophecies for America gives a whole Bible study on this passage and on the history behind this verse. Now, if you go down to verse 16, Revelation 13, verse 16, it tells us that in the closing moments of time, this beast from the earth that has horns like a lamb will not only speak like a dragon, meaning it will deny its principles. It's lamb-like principles, but it will enforce the mark of the beast. Revelation 13 verse 16 says, "...he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond or slave, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that has the mark." So, this verse predicts that at some point in the future, this mark of the beast is going to be enforced by law. Just like the government of Babylon enforced the bowing down to a statue. And just like the government of Persia enforced a a no praying to God period for 30 days, there is going to be a time in the future where a mark is going to be enforced. The Bible says, upon all, all around the world. Now, Seventh-day Adventists, and we've studied this, we've studied the mark of the beast, and again, I don't have time to go into all those details. Uh, In Startling Prophecies for America, our series, we not only study the first beast and the second beast and the mark of the beast. And we have come to the conclusion that the beast is a symbol at least the first beast, of the Roman Catholic Church system. The second beast is a symbol of the United States of America. Both beasts are going to be working together during the final days, and they will cooperate in the enforcement of the mark, the mark of the beast. And we have concluded from a lot of study and research that that mark of the beast ultimately will occur when uh, Sunday, as a day of rest... Which really, you can trace it back to the Catholic Church. When Sunday as a day of rest is enforced by law. By the government of the United States and then around the world. By many different governments. And if you think about it, the reason, or at least the partial reason, that will be given for the enforcement of the Mark of the Beast during that final time is because the world will conclude that we have come to a time of national and global emergency, right? We're in an emergency, whether it's an environmental emergency, a moral emergency, uh, various kinds of emergencies. This will be used to justify the enforcement of the mark, the enforcement of Sunday as a supposed solution to a global crisis and we can already see in many many ways uh, a movement in this direction a lot of people are talking now in the light of the the pandemic because all these you know businesses have been closed and the earth has been resting from a lot of its economic activity people have noticed that you know, over certain cities the skies are clearing up and the uh, the water is running clear and they're concluding that a day of that, giving the earth time to rest, and a day of rest, uh, is something very positive for the environment. And Pope Francis and many others are suggesting that we need a universal day of rest on Sunday, and that will help the planet, that will help morality, that will help families, that will help society, and so we can see a movement. Going on in that direction. Now, again, I want to stress something. Here's an important point. When the final mark of the beast is enforced, it's going to come under the guise of an emergency. That we are in an emergency. And therefore, basic, essential human rights that have been previously recognized will be uh, overthrown in the name of an emergency. Now, when that time finally comes, when Revelation 13 occurs in front of our eyes and the mark of the beast is finally enforced, God wants His people to be able to meet this enforcement of the mark with biblical arguments, right? We gotta have the Bible on our side. We have to have biblical arguments. And part of our argument that we are going to be giving to the world during the time of the mark of the beast has to do with the legitimate authority of the church and the legitimate authority of the state. We have to be very, very clear on this. And we will tell the world the biblical principles of 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 and 14, and Romans chapter 13. About submission to government, and yet we're gonna balance this out with Acts chapter 5, verse 29. That when it comes to if there becomes a, a time of clash, then we must obey God rather than men. In Daniel chapter 3, the issue that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced had to do with the second commandment. The Babylonian government enforced a law telling people, they must bow down to a statue that was a violation of the second commandment. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we can't do this. They refused to bow down. And in the final times, the final mark of the beast will not have to do primarily with the second commandment, but with the fourth commandment, requiring in a time of emergency, in a time of crisis, uh, the enforcement of Sunday. Sunday. Now, as we know, it's not just Old Testament Jews who resisted government overreach. It wasn't just uh, Daniel and his three friends. We've already seen that Christians did the same thing in Acts chapter 5, when the apostles said, we have to preach about Jesus. We must obey God rather than men. If you look at Christian history, we see that for the first three centuries, the Roman government crossed the line as well. The same government that Paul said to submit to in Romans 13, that government crossed a line and commanded the Christians to worship Caesar. And if they didn't, they would die. And the Christians said, we can't do that. We only worship Jesus Christ. And they drew a line and they were willing to die for their faith. Millions of the early Christians were put to death by the Roman authorities because they would not submit to wrongful authority. Uh, In the time of Constantine, in the 4th century, Constantine passed his infamous Sunday law. And the Roman church, in connection with the state, began to push for Sunday legislation. It happened in history. And there were a lot of Christians that said, we can't go along with that. The government does not have a right to enforce, to force us to keep Sunday. And then as the Train of history continued down the track. Into the dark ages, the persecution got worse. And now it was the, the church, the Roman church, pressuring the state to enforce its will upon its citizens. And once again, the Christians said, no, we cannot go along with this. This is not the proper use of legitimate authority. And so they stood up, and millions of Christians were butchered and martyred and died during the Dark Ages at the hands of this combination of the church and the state. Going down farther, uh, the Church of England, when it became a Protestant church in the 1600s, the Church of England made a similar mistake, and they began to force its members, its citizens, to follow its doctrines. And there were many uh, Christians who were called uh, nonconformists. They said, we can't go along with this. They left England. They went across the ocean to Holland. And then they got on ships and they crossed the Atlantic Ocean and they came to the the shores of the New World and they began to establish colonies looking for freedom. But sadly... Uh, In colonial America, in the 1600s, many of those early colonies like Jamestown uh, enforced the keeping of Sunday. They were called blue laws. Blue laws. And it was a disaster. Well, as history continued on, eventually people began to look at the whole issue of the proper authority of the church, the proper authority of the state, how they should work together. What are their legitimate spheres? And in the 1700s, a government was finally established on the shores of the New World. And that ultimately became the government of the United States of America. A constitution was developed, which is a marvelous document. And I've I've got it here somewhere. I've actually got a copy of the constitution right here. Very interesting to read our Constitution. And this is what the very first amendment says of the United States Constitution, the Bill of Rights, Article 1. It says that Congress, and Congress refers to government, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. That's called the establishment Clause. And basically, what's happening here is the founding fathers put this constitution together based on the principle of Jesus that Caesar has a proper authority, and then there are things of God the things of Caesar and the things of God. And the First Amendment denies Congress the right to cross over the line and to enforce, to establish religion in America. Are you with me? That is called the Establishment Clause. And what's going to happen is when the mark of the beast is enforced, this principle, which really isn't simply a constitutional principle alone, but it's a Bible principle. The Bible principle of proper authority. This principle is going to be violated. Like it's been violated in history. When Sunday is enforced by law, this is a violation of the Establishment Clause. When government enforces Sunday, it's essentially enforcing religion. And that's, that's wrong. It's a violation of the Constitution of the United States. And we need to stand up for this principle when that time comes. Are you with me? Following me so far? No dissent yet? <laughs> Good. Now, here's a, here's a very important point. And this is what has stirred, this is one of the things that has stirred my soul. And that is this that there are two sides to the First Amendment. The First Amendment not only has what's called an establishment clause, but the First Amendment also has what's called a free exercise clause. And if you look at the full uh, article, it says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And then it says, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble. So the First Amendment protects our freedom of religion, our freedom to exercise our religion, our freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and our freedom to peaceably assemble. These are freedoms protected by the Constitution. Now it's interesting, if you look in your bulletin, if you look in your bulletin, there's a couple of quotes, inspirational quotes, and on page, uh, or it says here, there's a quote from Last Day Events, page 131, and in this quote, From the book, Last Day Events, page 131, in the middle, it says that when this final crisis comes, when the crisis of the mark of the beast, the crisis of Revelation 13 occurs, it says that our country shall repudiate every principle of its constitution as a Protestant and Republican government. So that's what's coming that's what's happening when the mark of the beast is enforced it's it's obvious that this will be a repudiation of the principles that are in the constitution right this will be an establishment uh, of religion now i want you to turn to hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 every principle of the constitution and the principles of the constitution are not just Warning about the Establishment Clause being violated. But the principle of the Constitution also gives us the Free Exercise Clause. These are principles of the Constitution. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 is very, uh, what's the word? It's captivating. In the time in which we live, this verse has captivated me. Verse twenty-five says, "Paul says we should, we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together." And that's what the First Amendment is all about, as well, right? Uh, it, it says, "Government is not to prohibit or abridge our right to peaceably assemble." And Paul says, we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now, in my margin of my Bible, the word forsake, in the margin, it says giving up. In other words, we are not to give up our legitimate right to assemble. And, the, and really, the uh, word for church is... Is Ecclesiastes, what's the word? Ecclesia, Ecclesia. yeah, Ecclesia. Should remember that Ecclesia, which was which is the called out ones who assemble and worship God. And Paul is saying we are not to give that up. We are not to forsake assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And then it says, but we are to exhort one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So what Paul is saying is that we should keep assembling together and that as we see the day of God approaching, and surely we can see that right now, can't we? We can see the day of God getting closer and closer and closer with all the things that are happening around us God's counsel is that we should be assembling together more and more, not less and less. Now, let me... I've uh, got a little more to say today as we kind of wrap up these, these uh, threads. We all know that we are in a time of an official coronavirus pandemic, right? We all know that. This crisis has been going on in the world for approximately seven to eight months. Uh, the, The World Health Organization has officially designated our time and this crisis as a pandemic. And it has, we have been uh, officially notified that we are in a public health emergency, right? Public health emergency. And what has happened is that the governing, the governing authorities, and some more than others, you know, some states more than others, the governing authorities have decided that it is in the public interest for businesses to close, for them to be required to close, and that it is in the public interest for churches to close. And this has been required by various Governors and various governments around the world. Now today, in here we are in September, September 5, uh, many states have allowed churches to open again. So that's why we're here, right? Uh, we're here in Newport, Washington in church and the church has, has reopened. Um, but there are many other churches that are in states where the governing authorities have not allowed that yet. At least in many places. Such as California, my home state, where I grew up. And let me tell you, and this is what I'm hearing from people. I'm hearing that more and more people are being stirred over the basic principle of the legitimate authority of government, the legitimate of of the authorities of the governing powers, and more and more people are are wondering and questioning in this crisis whether or not uh, a line has been crossed. People are wrestling with this. I've been wrestling with this. As I mentioned, I wasn't planning on speaking on this topic. I was gonna talk about Approaching Armageddon and and my book that's coming out that'll be available from White Horse Media in a couple weeks, and that was my topic. But five days ago, I took a walk and uh, it sure seemed to me, (laughs) guess that's the way I'll say it. I didn't hear a voice in my head but it sure seemed to me that the Lord was stirring me up about this topic and that he wanted me to speak about this today. Uh, Let me tell tell you something very interesting. July 13, a couple months ago, the Los Angeles Times in California reported that because COVID cases were on the rise, that they were going to reverse their plans to reopen a lot of places the reopening process to get out from underneath, uh, you know, or the struggle with the virus. Because the cases were going up, they decided that they would order more public places to close, including houses of worship, including churches. And uh, on July 13, the LA Times reported Governor Newsom's order about this concerning over 30 counties... And that houses of worship in those counties were to be closed indefinitely. Indefinitely. That was the word that came from the governor of California. Now there's one um, one notable church. I imagine it's not the only one. But there's one uh, very notable church in L.A. County in Sun Valley, California, not too far from where I grew up. That's called the Grace Community Church, and the pastor is Pastor John MacArthur. Let me ask you: Have you heard about this church? How many of you have heard about the controversy of this? Okay, most of you, most of you have. Uh, pastor MacArthur and his church decided that in this situation, that the government of California had crossed the line. And uh, on their website, a whole article was posted by Pastor MacArthur, which came out July 24. And the article, you can, you can Google it and you can read it, is called, Christ, Not Caesar, is Head of the Church. It's the title of, uh, of that article. And Pastor MacArthur and his church decided that we are going to, we are going to open. Come what may. That's what they decided. Now, I want to clarify that I do not agree with every teaching of Pastor John MacArthur. He has teachings that, you know, he he believes in Calvinism. uh, He believes in uh, the immortal soul and eternal torment, which has Seventh-day Adventists. We don't really find that in our Bibles from careful studies study of the Bible, but we all have a, you know, the right to follow our own consciences. In those areas we agree to disagree. But, uh, I, I read Pastor MacArthur's entire article called Christ Not Caesar is the head of the church and honestly I could find no fault with it. I thought, I thought to myself, this man in this, on this issue He sounds like a Seventh-day Adventist. He's using the very same arguments about the proper authority of Caesar and God, the things of God, religion. He's using the same arguments that we're going to use when the mark of the beast is enforced. Same arguments. He's very clear on the legitimate authority of the state and of the church and that when the state crosses the line and we're in a conflict between what the Bible says and what the government says, he's very clear that there's a time to take a stand. Very, very clear on this. Now, it's interesting that he decided to buck the governor and open his church. Well, L.A. County did not take that uh, take that in a happy way. And L.A. County took him to court, tried to force him to close his church. And uh, at least as of this moment, L.A. County has lost... All They lost in the court four times. Four times, the county court, or the court, one of the courts in California, decided to back Pastor MacArthur instead of Governor Newsom. And then, because the county uh, was getting desperate, what they've recently decided to, decided to do is to pull the lease from the parking lot because Pastor McCarthy's church is, on, is next to a big parking lot. And the parking lot is leased from the county. So they decided, well, if we can't get you in court, we're going to get you with the parking lot. And they've given them a, a notice that you only have so many more days to park in that parking lot, and then when that's done, you're done. And so what has happened is people who go to his church have decided, well, we're going to park in the neighborhood. And some people are willing to walk for a mile to get to that church. And I've seen uh, interviews with him and media, news media. And you can Google this and you can read all about it. And the last I heard was his church was packed, was overflowing. There were so many people that were coming to his church because he was taking a biblical stand on this issue that you can't, there's hardly enough room in his church, for uh, the people who are responding to his courage. Now, um, I have wrestled with this issue, and I'll tell you why. And the reason I've wrestled with this is because, uh, by and large, and I'm I'm just going to you know just say that this is generally what has happened, by and large. Our churches, during the coronavirus pandemic, many of our churches have closed. Many churches have closed. In California, there's many are still closed. Thankfully, in Idaho and, and eastern Washington, our churches are open. But many of our churches have closed and are still closed because our churches are um, following the lead of our conferences. And we should follow the lead of our conferences. And our conferences are following the lead of the governing authorities. Isn't that right? Isn't that why the Newport Church closed for a while? It was because our church is in sub- sub- submission, proper submission to our conference, and our conference is in uh, submission to the governing authorities of the state of Washington. These are facts. And I want to... I clarify and say was something very important that I believe in supporting the leadership and the authority of our church. I really believe that. Uh, White Horse Media is not a rebel organization. <laughs> Definitely not. I pay my tithe to the Upper Columbia Conference and I will continue to do that. And our ministry has a policy that we do not take tithe. And that's where I send my, my tithe now here's where I'm wrestling with this. I'm wrestling with the the, uh, the the reality that in the Seventh-day Adventist Church we do not have a pope. Right, we are not a Catholic church that believes in the infallibility of uh, you know they believe in the infallibility of their leader, and we recognize that we we've never claimed infallibility as a church, isn't that right? Our leaders don't claim infallibility. And, uh, and, and there are times when leaders need to make adjustments. Isn't that true? There is, and that applies to local conference, union, division, general conference, all the way down the line, uh, when the issue of, and this is a whole sideline, but many of you know that there was a time years ago when our leadership uh, kind of went in a direction that, was, that didn't take a strong stand for pro-life. And within the last few years, there's been a, a, a balancing uh, concern that's been expressed to our leaders and from our leaders within, and the result was within the last year or so, uh, our church has made an adjustment on that issue. And proper procedures were followed, proper channels, and the right spirit was revealed because we believe in organization and we believe in our, in our leadership. And um, an adjustment was made. And that told, tells me that sometimes adjustments do need to be made. There are times when that needs to happen. Now, uh, two days ago, as I was wrestling with this, this message... Uh, I decided to make a phone call to an attorney friend of mine in California. I've known him for quite a while. He's a solid Seventh-day Adventist attorney who is very up on religious liberty issues. And I, I called him on the phone two days ago and I, I said, uh, Brother, I need, your, I need your counsel. I said, am, am I want to I want to share with you some of the, the wrestling that I'm doing inside of my heart. And I want you to tell me if you think I'm, am I on the right track here? Or am I, you know, kind of getting off track? What do you think? And as we talked about this, uh, it became very clear to me that he shared the same convictions that I'm having. Same convictions. And he told me a story. He said, um, He said, here's my story. He said, imagine if public health officials came to your house and told you that they believe there is mold in your house and that uh, it's dangerous and it's no longer safe for you to be in your house. And so they want you to give them the keys and move out for a while while they investigate and fix this problem. And because you're, you know, you don't know, you've never really thought about that, you haven't seen mold, you're, and you don't want to die from mold, you give them the keys, and you, uh, you leave your house. And then the investigation goes on, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and one month turns to two months, three months, four months, five months, six months goes by, and you're still out of your house. And they still got the keys. And you ask them to give you the keys and they will not do it. They say, no, we, we, still, are, we still are considering you to be in a, in a health emergency in your house. And so we're not giving you the keys. And then my friend said to me, he said, at that point, you realize you've made a mistake. And the mistake is to give them the keys in the first place you should never have given them the keys to your house that's what he said and he's you know drawing the issue concerning our churches you know should we be giving the keys of whether we should be open or whether we should not be open should we be giving those keys to the public authorities is that Is that right or is it wrong? And then he told me, he told me something very interesting. He said, and I won't mention his name, but there is one of the most respected, well-known religious liberty leaders of the Seventh-day Adventist church who who called him and said to this attorney, I want you to do a story on John MacArthur's church and on the religious liberty issues that are occurring down there, and I want you to write this for Liberty Magazine. And so he's in the process of, uh, of doing that. And I don't know what the Lord is going to do with this sermon. <laughs> I don't know. But I do know that if, uh, if there is an adjustment that does need to be made in the days ahead, it's not going to come from one person. It's going to be a group of people. It's going to be a group of leaders. Leaders in our conferences, our union, our division, all the way up to the top, who, uh, you know, if there is going to be an adjustment, then it's something that has to go through the proper channels. It has to be done properly. It has to be done with respect for legitimate church authority, which I maintain that we should have that respect. And we'll see what the Lord s- stirs up in people's minds. Uh, I, I don't know. But I do feel... Uh, my conscience tells me that this sermon is appropriate. And that it's, uh, it's appropriate to hopefully you know, bring this out so that the issue can be put on the table for discussion. Does that make sense? That's really what I'm hoping for. Like I said, I'm not a rebel. <laughs> support our church. I support the Upper Columbia Conference. I support our leaders. But I think that this is an issue that should be put on the table. Uh, we And let me kind of wind this up here. We know that the... Coronavirus pandemic has devastated people all over the world. Isn't that true? We know that. Those who have died of this, it's a terrible thing. We know it has devastated economies around the world. We know it has devastated businesses around the world. People's lives, their their incomes have been devastated we know that it has, it has devastated churches around the world, hasn't it? And, and I think I don't remember whether it was the Pew Research or one of these uh, organizations, the pastor down in Spirit Lake recently, I was listening to him, Pastor Joe Reeves, and he said that the research is that one in five churches that have closed will not reopen. They will never reopen. Churches have been closed. And there are a lot of people that I've talked to that are looking at all these events, and they have concluded that what we have seen with the coronavirus pandemic and this incredible upheaval that has affected the entire planet, including the church, that this is a dry run for the final crisis. A lot of people that feel that way. This is a dry run. So the, put, the, the issue that I just want to put on the table is should we decide whether to close our or open our churches based on orders from state governors? I think that is a legitimate question to be asked. And as I see so many heads nodding, I know that uh, this resonates with you. Based on the Bible, Hebrews 10 verse 25 It says that we should not give up assembling together. And that we should be assembling together more and more as we see the day approaching. So my question is, is it possible that we have seen a major, massive government overreach in this area? Is that possible? And is this possible, and I want to just put this out there, put this on the table, is it possible That by cooperating with government overreach in this area in the name of a public health crisis, telling us we cannot go to church on Sabbath, we must close our churches, is it possible that unwittingly we are taking a dangerous step toward ultimately cooperation with government again, when it overreaches and tells us during a time of not a public health emergency, but a global emergency, that we cannot go to church on Sabbath. We must give up the Sabbath during the time of the Mark of the Beast crisis. Uh, In Volume 5 of the Testimonies, here's one quote I want to read to you. Page 81, it's talking about the final crisis. Volume 5 of the Testimonies, page 81. Listen to this. It says, The time is not far distant when the test will come to every soul. The mark of the beast will be urged upon us. Those who have step by step yielded to worldly demands and conformed to worldly customs will not find it a hard matter to yield to the powers that be, rather than to subject themselves to derision, insult, threatened imprisonment, and death. So this is telling us that when the mark of the beast comes and government overreaches itself, those who have been step-by-step step yielding to worldly demands are, will find it uh, easier to submit to worldly demands demands during the time of the mark of the beast. You know, when a a tree dies of a disease, it doesn't just fall over one day. There's a process of the disease making inroads into that tree, and then it falls over. When a marriage ends, which is tragic, marriages don't just end. They end because of a process of disintegration, which eventually results in the final divorce. And when the mark of the beast is enforced, those who go along with the governing authorities who have crossed a line during the mark of the beast crisis will not just make that decision in a vacuum. They have been making other decisions. Step by step, we're told. Step by step which has led them and contributed to the final fateful choice. So as I wind this up, I know I've said that a couple times, but I'm at the end of my notes. <laughs> I'm at the end of my notes. Uh, I would like to respectfully appeal to our leaders of our church to take another look at this issue. That's my appeal. And I think I'm on solid ground. It's nice to hear an amen out there. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and that, that's my appeal. Yes, we should submit to every ordinance of man, as it says in the Bible. And yet, that must be balanced out with the fact that we must obey God rather than men when the conflict comes. My Bible says that we should not give up assembling together. Especially as we see the day approaching. That, to me, is the word, is the word of the Lord. When the final crisis hits, we need to take our stand. Do I lose our microphone? What happened here? It's coming back. Check one, two, three. It's still coming. I only have a sentence or two left. (laughs) What was that? Just keep talking. Okay, my final conclusion is that we need to ultimately take our stand on the Bible. Right? Martin Luther did that in the 1500s when he stood before the council. He said, Martin Luther said, Here I stand, so help me God Amen. And may God help our our church. May he help all of us to uh, stand for him and for the Bible and to do what's right and to get ready for the final crisis, which is uh, surely soon to come. So let's close with prayer. Dear Father in heaven, Father, you know this has been a difficult uh, topic to talk about. And I, I believe that you have stirred me up to put this issue on the table. And I pray for our church here in Newport and the other churches in this conference and our conference leaders and our other leaders uh, around the world that you will help us to relook at some of these issues and to do what's right. And I believe, Lord, that if we do what's right, you will stand behind us. You will back us. Help us to put Jesus first in our lives and to be centered in Christ and in his spirit and with his love to a lost world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's message by Steve Wolberg. We feel privileged to be a part of God's commission to share the gospel with the world. You too can be a part of our gospel outreach team by supporting messages just like these with your financial gifts. We strive to be careful with every dollar that we receive, knowing these donations are sacred gifts to build up God's kingdom of grace and salvation. To find other great resources or to donate online, go to whitehorsemedia.com or you can call us at 1-800-78-BIBLE. That's 1-800-782-4253. You can follow us on Twitter at Whitehorse7 or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Steve That's Steve, W-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. If you prefer to contact us by mail, write to Whitehorse Media, P.O. Box 130, Priest River, Idaho, 83856. Thanks for your support, and may God richly bless your day.